Hey, welcome to the Lyric House Church podcast. Our mission is to host a house for him. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our live service. Make sure to check out our Facebook page for details about upcoming events and information on our small groups that meet throughout the week. Thank you for being part of our broader community, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. Mm, Praise you, Jesus. We just worship you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. We exalt you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are holy. You are mighty, God. We just declare, Lord, I declare you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of adoration. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy. We magnify and exalt you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We may get busy during the week. Think about all kinds of stuff except for you. Lord, you're so good that you love us. You don't, you're not mad at us. You just long for us to be with you and spend time with you. And so, Lord, without, without guilt or without <clears throat> sorrow for times that we've missed, in this moment right now, God, we say, here we are. Here am I. And we focus on you because you are worthy and you are holy and you are high and lifted up. You are glorious. You are great and mighty. We honor you and worship you and praise you. And in this moment, we declare you are our God. In this moment, we declare you are the king. In this moment, we declare your will, not ours, be done in our lives. In this moment, we declare... We will follow you. Lord, in this moment, we declare you are our God and we are your people. God, in this moment, we receive your love. Lord, right now, in this moment of time, in this moment, Lord, we receive your peace. God, we receive your joy. Lord, we lift our eyes and look to you. Right now, I declare, we take our eyes off of ourselves. We take our eyes off of the problems surrounding us, and we lift our eyes to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, your word says that you are faithful, and you began a good work in us. 
and you will be faithful. You will be faithful, and you will complete that work that you began. In another place, it says, faithful are you who called us, and you will do it. Lord, this moment I declare not by works, not by might, nor by our power, nor by our strength, but by your spirit. You will do what you said you will do. We are your people. You are our shepherd. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. We just worship you, God. We magnify you. We exalt you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We glorify you, Jesus. In this moment, God, we focus on you. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters but you, God. Your will, your way. We worship you. We yield our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us help us. You are the helper, the spirit of truth, the teacher, the comforter, one third of God. You are one third of God. You are God, the spirit. There's the father, there's God, the son, and there's God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us. You declared in John 14 that you would not leave us as orphans, but you would come to us and reveal yourself to us through the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, this morning I pray for this group in this moment, at this place, in this time, and I ask that you help us. We yield to your help. We yield to your instruction. We yield to your guidance. And again, I say not our will, but yours. We yield to you. We honor you, Lord. We magnify you, Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil 
for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What do you have need of today? What do you need? What do you have need of in your life? What is it that you need? There's not a person in this room that doesn't have something that you need in your life today. What is it? Do you need financial delivery? Do you need help dealing with hostile co-workers and a hostile work environment? Do you need help with raising your children and bringing wisdom into your home? Do you need help in your marriage? Do you just need depression to be broken off of your life? What is it that you need in your life today? You need healing in your body. You need your physical body to quit betraying you. You need healing in your heart for the rejection that you've suffered from childhood again and again and again. Seems like you can't break the cycle. What is it you have need of? Because there's not a person in this room that doesn't have something that they need in their life to change. Maybe you say, everything's going pretty good for me right now. But I want to be more like Him. I want to be more like God. My guess is most of you say, I want to be more like God, but there's a lot going on in my life right now. I think if I was to take a poll, how many says nothing's really going on in your life? You're just good to go. I don't think I get very many hands on that. And I'm not talking about faith statements, and I'm not talking about declaring who we are in Christ, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about opening our eyes, looking at our life, and going, what do I need to change? What needs to happen in my life? And when I say, what do I need to change? What needs to change in my life? What do I need? What do I need from God? And, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but when I said what needs to change in my life, most of the things that we need in our life, we're not seeing is due to something we are doing in a wrong way. We're reaping seeds that we're sowing 
either in our thoughts. It has to be in your thoughts first, by the way. So in our thoughts and also in our lives, the things that we're doing, we're sowing some seeds, we have patterns, we have routines, we have things that we do, but do you understand that your patterns and your routines only come from your thinking? Because of the way you think forms the patterns and the routines that we walk out day to day. You get up in the morning, you get ready for whatever it is you do, you know what I'm saying? The cycle day after day after day. The patterns that we live in are not arbitrarily placed upon you by some other force. There are people behind bars this morning that are more free than people in this room. It's not about your circumstances or situation. It's about your thoughts what you're believing. And I know this sounds like, oh, this just sounds up here somewhere. It's the truth. We are, we're living out, we're manifesting who we believe to be on the inside. This is actually very good news because if you don't like what you're living out and what you're seeing on the outside it can be changed by how you see yourself on the inside now let me be very clear in this i am not going through some higher thinking self-help i'm not a i'm not a what do, what do they call those motivational speaker i'm a motivational preacher baby i don't know I'm not a motivational speaker who just comes out here and wants to smile at you and just tell you life is good, everything's great, and just think happy thoughts and it'll all be good. Happy thoughts, happy thoughts. You know, don't worry, be happy. Most of us should flip that shirt around in, in our shirts and say, don't happy, be worry. Because that's where we're living our lives. I'm not here to tell you that if you just change the way you, you just happy thoughts alone, Changing your thoughts alone will bring the victory in your life that you need. You go, what are you trying to say? You just told me that I'm living the way I'm living because of the way I see myself. If I change my thoughts, I could change the way I'm living. And then you said, I'm not telling you, just by changing your thoughts, you can change the way you live. Anybody confused with me now? It sounds like I'm saying something completely different, but I'm not. You can find some change by simply changing your thoughts. You will find some change. These principles work to some degree with or without God. There's principles established in the earth like seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping. You know, a non-Christian can benefit from sowing and reaping. There's laws, there's principles, there's things that happen. So to some degree, you can find some change by just changing your thinking. But I just don't want you to be misled. I want you to know if that's the path you take alone, it will be a fleeting, momentary change that will not last.
you only have so much strength and eventually your strength will fail. Some of you are here today saying, my strength has failed me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of where I'm at. Some of you are here this morning hoping that you can find a way out of what you're living in right now. Because every time you see another light at the end of the tunnel, you're like, oh, I finally see light at the end of the tunnel. And all of a sudden you hear, wah, wah. it's another train. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me give you a verse for you. In this world, you will have tribulation. Amen, Pastor Tim. Preach it. Encourage me this morning. Now you have a choice to make in that tribulation. To focus on yourself or to turn to God. Because the rest of that verse says, but be encouraged. Get excited. Because I, Jesus, not me, Jesus is right saying this, because I have overcome the world. And in Christ we are overwhelmingly what does the word overwhelmingly mean? It means to overwhelm. <laughs> Define a word by a word, yes. Thank you. That's, that's how I do it. It's much more than whelmed. <laughs> to be overwhelmed, guys, that implies a massive amount of force to overtake something in such a way that whatever it was overtaking had no ability or power to stand in its path. Have you ever seen like a, a flash flood or a dam break and water just coming down and you've got like a little bar barrier barricade and this water just thousands and hundreds of thousands of gallons rushing down and hits that little barrier. It overwhelms it. It overtakes it and that little barrier has no chance to stand against it. It's like I'm a sandbag. I'll stop you. It becomes overwhelmed. And some of you in here today are going, yes, I identify with that. I identify with being overwhelmed. I identify with standing and not being able to overcome. I identify with that. We should all be able to identify with that at some point, somewhere in our life. But I'm not talking about the troubles overwhelming you. It says that Jesus, in Christ, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him. Overwhelmingly. Not just barely making it through. Not, not like, oh, I'm getting beat by my problems and I'm hoping when the, when the last round the ding the bell and the judges rule, it'll rule in my favor, you know, because I'm not going down. I'm going to be like Rocky fighting, you know, whatever, whoever he's fighting. In the last moments there, he's still standing, you know. No, overwhelmed means to, to overcome with extreme force. That means in Christ, in Jesus, you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you're born again, you, if you choose to believe God and make the right choices in your life, and I'm not talking about, I shouldn't say it that way, by what I mean by right choices is believe God, put God, believe God, put God, right? What do you mean by put God? Put God first. What do we do? We believe God. What do we do in this problem? We believe God. Get out of the way 
and let God overwhelm some problems in your life. Instead of being overwhelmed by the problems, see, you've heard it said like this. I'm not the first guy to say this, right? But you've heard it said like this probably. It's time for us to quit telling God how big our problems are, right? And start telling our problems how big our God is. It's time to step out of the way and let God overwhelm some situations in our lives. To defeat completely, overwhelmingly conquering through Christ. Overwhelmingly, guys. There's a few things I want to talk about here. Gosh, I hate the clock. There's a few things I got to talk about. <laughs> Hallelujah. I need that clock, Adam. It's for everybody else's sake. You guys got to understand, I, I don't, I don't want to be long-winded to be long-winded. <clears throat> I really don't. I just feel so passionate about what I'm sharing, and I've got some scriptures to cover, and I feel so compelled to share a few things with you this morning that it's like I feel time constraint, right? Because there's multiple reasons. I, I need to respect your time. I need to respect you. Uh, honestly, you have things to do today, but also you can only receive so much. You can only process so much, but guess what? Your Spirit can deposit things inside of you that you don't know you're getting and can begin to deposit stuff inside of you. So that's why sometimes when I preach, instead of going like, here's a little bit of scripture, I feel like I turn on a fire hose and I go, <laughs> because I'm just trying to flood you with the word of God. I'm trying to flood you with principles of the kingdom. And why not? Because we are flooded on all sides by everything that is anti-God all around us, every day, all the time. And I know you can only receive as much as your blessed assurance can handle, right? It's your blessed assurance down there. He's sitting on your... <laughs> it's time to let God utterly defeat some things in our lives. The Lord is our shepherd. See, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but worship the Lord is like, read this psalm. I say, no problem, let's do it. Check this out. The Lord is our shepherd. Then what's the next thing say? What? What? Why? What does that mean? What do you mean I shall not want? The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. He's my everything, I heard. You shall not want. You know what? Let me, let, me, let me ask you a question. We got this so messed up. We've got this so messed up, guys. Religion has messed things up so much. Do you realize if you became a Christian when the Bible was written, when Jesus lived on this earth and then he died? And I, I've heard it's getting this popular message is getting out there. And I'm just going to say it in case you hear it. There's this popular thing going around trying to say that when Jesus walked the earth that they preached the gospel, but they never talked about his death or resurrection. And this fake thing that the church is focusing on Jesus's death and resurrection 
is not what they preached in, when Jesus was here and his disciples preached. And if you haven't heard it, praise the Lord. But I'm telling you, I'm encountering this message again and again and again. And it's Satan trying to like knock away, obviously, at the power of the gospel. I got news for you. They didn't talk about the death and resurrection because Jesus was alive walking among them, revealing himself through signs, wonders, and miracles, showing us the Father's will perfectly. It says he is the express image. Hebrews uh, chapter, what is it? Hebrews chapter chapter 1 says he, uh, in the beginning, God spoke long ago to the fathers in many portions of many, many, in the prophets in many ways, and in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, he created everything. I'm skipping a verse. It says, and he is the, the radiance of his glory, the exact representation or the express image of his character and his nature. And he upholds all, he upholds all things by the power of his word. He is the express image. God has spoken to us through his son. In the, in, the, in the other ways, he spoke all kinds of different ways. But he's spoken to us in his son. Why? Because we misinterpreted all the other ways he tried to speak to us. We got it wrong. We messed it up. We weren't doing it right. So God came down as a man, wanted to pay for sin, to purchase us back, all this stuff, right? I know I'm going fast, but I'll slow down. He came down to defeat sin once and for all, to eradicate sin, to overwhelm sin, to destroy. The Bible says to destroy the power and works of sin once for all. Everybody say that, once for all. I need to hear passion in that. Once for all. Amen. Why? Because this is important. Once for all. One man for all men forever, for all time. One sacrifice for all sin, for all men, forever. Yes! This is amazing stuff, guys. You know what? We've got it so messed up because we keep thinking sin is what's messing with us, and sin is our problem, and sin is overcoming us. Sin, I'm going to say in the way we understand sin, is not your problem. Unbelief is our problem, which technically unbelief is sin. So don't fry me over the coals by saying sin is not your problem. That's why I said, as we normally think of sin, sin is not our problems. It's unbelief. But the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Sin is not just missing the mark, guys. Sin is not just, oh, I tried to do my best and I didn't make it. Sin is a work of the enemy that comes to utterly destroy you, deceive you, and slave you, and bring power over you, to cripple you, and break you, and bring every sickness, illness, disease, and curse into your life comes through the inroad of sin. And so then we begin to preach messages about having to be holy, and live holy, and be righteous, and and do righteousness, and, and all this stuff. Right? And so what do we do? We try to counterbalance the power of sin by working in our flesh to be righteous and be holy. And then we begin to say stuff like this. Well, I'm just going to serve Lord. I'm doing this for God. I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing this for God. Anybody heard that before? Anybody said that before? Let me ask you a question. The Bible said the Lord is our shepherd. Who are we? His sheep. We're his sheep. 
There's other places that calls us sheep. Here it doesn't say we're sheep, I know. But there's other scriptures that say we are the sheep. The Lord is the shepherd, we're the sheep, we're this flock. Everybody's heard that before, right? It's, it's describing a shepherd taking care of sheep right here in this passage. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. Let me ask you this. Do the sheep follow the shepherd for what they can do for the shepherd? Do the sheep follow the shepherd to meet the shepherd's needs? Do the sheep follow the shepherd to minister unto the shepherd? I'm going to step on something here, so you ain't going to like it in a minute. Do the sheep follow the shepherd to protect the shepherd and guard the shepherd and watch over the shepherd and, and make sure the shepherd has what he needs and the sheep are concerned about the shepherd's feelings and the sheep are concerned about... Some of you are like, that sounds silly. Uh-huh, it does. Caveman, ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> beat you with the word of God, beat you with a giant zucchini. Look at that thing. Do the sheep, you better turn this mic down a little bit. Do the sheep, we know this, right? The sheep don't follow the shepherd for what they can do for the shepherd. But how many of us in churches get born again and get taught that what we are doing is we're doing it for the Lord. We're doing it to take care of God. We're doing it somehow to minister to him. Does he get ministered to by worship? Yes. But does he need that? No. He doesn't need you to somehow hit his happy button and make God feel fulfilled. And I feel, I feel now like I'm a complete God because my people have worshiped me. This isn't the God we serve yet. It's taught this way. Do we need to worship him? Yes. Why? He's God. He's amazing. I could spend so much time talking about this, but guys, think about how many things we do in church we do for God. The sheep follow the shepherd for what the shepherd can do for them. And I know if you preach this message in a wrong way, you can turn it and make it all about money and you can make it all about stuff and you can make it all about the things of this world. And I'm just telling you, if any message gets turned about just junk, you can tell, I can promise you it isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a twisted gospel and they're taking what you can get in the spirit and twisting it into the natural realm. Why? Because the natural realm is where most people live. We all live in the natural realm, but we think and dwell on natural things and we salivate over over wealth and riches and fame and fortune. And so preachers have learned that if they can hit some hot topics, people get real excited and start giving a lot of money. Right? It's true. It's true. But we have to be wiser than that. There's only one shepherd. It's Jesus. I'm not your shepherd. Jason and Timothy, he, Jason's not your shepherd. No way. Jesus is the shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. If you make Jason or me or any other pre preacher, pastor, teacher, whatever, your shepherd, I guess what? It'll say, uh, 
such and such is my shepherd and I, have, I want a lot. I need a lot. I, I want a lot because they can't give you what you need. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Why? Because he leads you where you need to go. Did you hear what I said a minute ago? I repeated it twice. His rod, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. woo Man, that's so good! That's better than you think it is. I know what I'm going to say, so I'm excited. <laughs> thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, right? I, I grew up in church. Praise God, I grew up in church. Amen, hallelujah. I grew up in church. Also, oh me, I grew up in church. It's both a blessing and a curse. It is. If you grew up in church, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in church and you're in a little building like this, in a church like this, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord, I grew up in church. And woe beeth unto me, because I grew up in church. Now, why do I say that? Because if you don't grow up in church, if you get born again and you're fortunate enough to get around people who really know God and love God, they can disciple you in a right way with truth through the word and get you connected to God and you can grow, 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 grow. But if you're like the average believer, the most, 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 by far, overwhelmingly, most Christians who get born again get plugged into a religious system. They get plugged into a religious traditional system that doesn't even point them to a true God. They get born again. They get set free. They're like, oh, this is awesome. And the next thing you know, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. Why? Because God requires it. In the bottom line, that's what they're telling you. You either do this or God's mad at you. If you don't do this, he won't bless you. If you don't do this, he won't love you. You know what I'm, you, anybody there? It's a fake system. It's, I started to say this a minute ago, and I'm going to remember, remind me, the, remind me, I don't really even know what to tell you, remind me, the, the staff, the rotten staff. So if you became a Christian, remember I said this 15 minutes ago, if you became a Christian when Jesus walked the earth, and I, and I got talked about the gospel, right? And the message that they're trying to say, the gospel they preached wasn't uh, uh, about the resurrection and all that stuff because Jesus was here. Guess what? After he was risen from the dead, Paul says things like, I don't want to be known for teaching anything among you except for Christ and him crucified. The gospel message is about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because without the sacrifice, our sins are not forgiven and we're not one with God. The Holy Spirit can't come. We're not redeemed. So like nothing else matters without that it's the pivotal point it's actually the point of the entire book from the beginning to the end is to show God is good, God loves you God's here for you and I'm so tired of people saying oh God the Father is this judge and he's mean and he's, he's angry and God's going to judge you how many times have you heard God's going to judge you in reality, come on how many times you hear about judgment and it's preaching to try to scare you to be a better person you, God will get you for that. You go to, oh. The preaching that it's wrong preaching to begin with, but the preaching about God's judgment actually is the same thing what Eve did in the garden. Adam and Eve were in the garden. I've still opened, I've now got three things open I got to close up. Adam and Eve were in the garden. You say, what garden was that? 
the garden. <laughs> Read in Genesis if you don't know. And so, and they're, and they're in the garden, right? And God says, what does God tell them? Anybody? I don't care. What? Anybody? Ooh, the tree of what? The knowledge. If you guys will do a study in, on your own, you will find out everything connected to everything you need to know has to do with your thinking and your belief system. Even in the beginning, the one tree they couldn't eat of was the knowledge. It would twist and break their minds. It's a different message. Can't go down that road. Anyways, they're there. So, we're, okay, here's how it's presented to us in the Bible. That God created Adam, and, and he said, let us make man in our image, right? And the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit working together. The Holy Spirit was down there, and you had the Father and Son together creating all this stuff. Actually, Scripture attributes creation to Jesus. It was the Father's plan, and Jesus spoke it, and the Holy Spirit brought it into existence. That's how it worked. And I could break that down for a whole message because it's fun, but we don't have time study it yourself. And so they worked together to create him and they created all these creatures. Then they said, let us make man in our image. And so in the image of God, he made him. And what's cool is when you look at it, when he said, let's make all the birds of the sky, the little birdies, tweet, 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 little birds, rock and robin, tweet, 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 tweet. you know, he'd be like, what? I don't know if that song's even, a, maybe it's a bad song. Or maybe I shouldn't say that song. All I know is there's a robin out there tweeting, you know, that's all I hear in the song. So God said, make the little Tweety birds, you know, and all this stuff going on and, and the fish and, and the animals and the, all the stuff. And every time God created something, he said, it is good. And he did this and it, it is good. One day he created this and said, it's good. The next day he created this. He said, it's good. It's good. It's good. And then on the sixth day, he said, let us make man in our image. Then he created man in the image of God. And then he looked at him and he said, it is very good. That's pretty cool. Not just good, it is very good. And then he rested on the seventh day from his works, right? So then he puts Adam in the garden. And, and I've got to move through this quickly. You can read this in story and to start in the very beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And you'll find this starting in chapter 2, this story I'm talking about, and 3. And he puts Adam in a garden. And he brings all the animals before him, right? And he says, hey, I want you to name these animals. So like, what is this thing? And here's my favorite part of the story. It literally says in there that he brought all these animals up just to see what Adam would call them. I think that's awesome. You don't think God had names figured out for all these animals that he could have named them? But he, he, he brought every animal before him, and it says just to see. It says that in your Bible, just to see what he would call them. And so I feel like God is sitting here going, and, and they're together, so I'm going to steal you. You're up front. That's why I'm picking on you up front. Don't sit up front. I won't pick on you. J.D.'s always like, you always pick on me. But he likes it. So they're up here. They're like, hey, check this out. Check this out. Because they're together. The Father, the Son, right? The Holy Spirit. You want to be the Holy Spirit? Come on up. And they're just up here hanging out. And, th and this isn't some big, deep thing that I'm showing you. It's just they're together is what I'm trying to show you. It wasn't just one being. They're the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're three separate beings, and they're together. And then they've created this, and they come down on earth. And they're on earth watching this happen with Adam. And then they bring God, Jesus, whoever, the Holy Spirit, somebody. God said, let's do it. Jesus said, go for it. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah. <laughs> and the elephant said, yes, yes. You know, and the Holy Spirit said, yeah. 
That's how, you know, cowboys are going, yeah, they got that from the Holy Spirit. In the beginning. And, and they came up there, and the animals came up there and stood there, and they're like, what's he going to call this one? What do you, what do you think he's going to call it? What, what? And Adam's down here just looking at this thing like, what in the world? Like, what, this thing, what is this thing? Its nose is like that long, but it's only like this tall. Its tongue is like that long. What in the world is this crazy thing? And the guy's like, what, what is it? He's like, uh. It's an aardvark. And you know they're like, aardvark? Aardvark? Like, what? What? Okay, aardvark you are. And they send it on, you know? The next one, you know, and the Holy Spirit, and the Father's like, get that one. Jesus' like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what he called them. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah. <laughs> and then the next one chomps up, and he's like, what in the world is this thing? Holy moly, it's big. And he just starts walking around looking at it. And he just walks around these animals, looks at each animal, touches them, looks under the, you know, under the trunk, see what's under the you know, undercarriage, checks this whole thing out, looks at everything, and then just begins to name it. This is an elephant. This is a giraffe. This is a whatever. And, and, and I don't know what language they spoke, but he named them in the language he spoke because it wasn't English, guys. And whatever language he spoke, he, he named them whatever animals they were. It's like Umashuba. Maybe that's what it sounded like. I don't know, but he named them. What's this one? Shandai. That's how we got the, that in tongues now. It's like Shandai. You don't even know. Shandai means lion. So you're actually going, praise the lion of Judah, right? I'm making that up, guys. I'm being silly. But he brought them up here, and they're like, what? what's he going to call him? What's he going to call him? Look at this. Look, look, look. Check it out. Look at this. Look, 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 look. You know, you guys can sit down now. I'm just being, I just wanted to pull you up here for fun. But they're together. The point I wanted to make was as these animals came up, that God was here. Adam was there, and I could have pulled somebody else up and had somebody else be an animal, and I should have done that because it would have been fun. But, but doing, doing this, and then he named them. But it shows God's heart is my point. I'm not trying to just belabor something to be silly. I want to make an important point. God, his heart was to watch and he enjoyed watching Adam see his creation and discover and, and be in awe and wonder at what God had done. And he created it for Adam. He didn't create it for himself. God didn't create all of this for himself. He created the heavens and the earth and, and the birds and the fish and the sea and all of this stuff for his crown creation, which was man created in his image. And he placed them on earth to rule over it and subdue it, to, to rule over the earth and subdue it. He put them in charge. And I know people today don't like that. I don't care. God put them in charge. Take it up with him. He put man in charge. And he created all of this for Adam. And he had this wonderful pleasure of watching him go around and explore. It's like, have you ever had a kid? And I don't mean a goat. I'm talking about a, a child, a human child. And you watch that child. If you've had children, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go out somewhere and get you a five-year-old and take him on a take him on a trip somewhere. Like, don't you don't have to go far. Just take him, take him walking down the road. They will find so much excitement in the rock. And you look down and you're like, yeah, it's a, it's a rock. You like throw that thing out of here. They're like, oh, look at this rock. It's got sparkles in it. 
And if you've ever been with a kid, they run, they explore. What is this? Look at this. What is this? Oh my goodness, what is it? And they're so excited. They're jumping. Their whole body's shaking. They see a turtle. They run over there, you know. And you go over there real quick because you're like, it's a snapping turtle. Oh my gosh, it's going to bite his arm off, you know. It's a five-year-old trying to pet a snapping turtle. Then you look and you're like, oh, okay, good. It's a box turtle. It's okay. He grabs it. Hey, look at the turtle. The turtle's like, whoa. You got to think this thing moves this speed, right? All of a sudden it's going, check it out. It's like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And it's like, you're, but, but as a parent, it's so much fun to watch your kids explore and run around and see these things. And, 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 and what is this? Oh, it's the excitement and wonder of a child. Guys, we're God's kids. He loves to see the excitement and the wonder on us as we discover and explore who he is and what he's done for us and this world that we can have with him. I've had four kids. I can tell you, the excitement and wonder is the same watching each one of them. It doesn't matter that I already saw one discover this. It doesn't matter that I saw another one discover this. It doesn't matter that I saw a third one discover this. All that does is help me know where to point that fourth one so he can discover it and get it it's so cool because I'm like, oh, they all thought this was cool. I want to bring him to see this thing. I want him to see that thing. And it doesn't matter how many times it is amazing every time to watch the wonder. And that's who our God is. He loves and gets pleasure out of our discoveries of him. This is awesome, guys. We're like, well, how is this going to change my life, man? Because I hope you'll begin to change your perspective of who God is. He loves for you to discover. Contrary to popular preaching, he's not mad. I like how Andrew says it. He's not even in a bad mood. He's not mad at you. He's not going to judge you. And, and guess what? If you'll read and study your scripture, you'll find out. I quoted it earlier, Hebrews, but there's more than that. Uh, there's like, I got... I could just, we could go through like real quick eight different verses that says Jesus is the image of God. He represents him perfectly. You know what that means? If it's true about Jesus, it's true about the Father. Do you remember Jesus saying something like, I don't do anything on my own initiative, but that that I see the Father doing, that is what I do. I don't say, the words that I speak to you, I don't say anything on my own authority, but what I hear the Father saying, that is what I declare to you. You guys remember that? Well, I'm going to tell you what, maybe you need to apologize to God today in your heart. Because I can promise you there's a lot of preachers that I grew up listening to that certainly need to apologize to God. I'm not saying they're bad people. They were taught wrong. They love God, but they're so afraid of him. But they've got this warped, twisted sense that Jesus is okay. Jesus is good. Why? Because Jesus protects me from God. And there's this warped sense that Jesus protects us from God. 
this generation coming up, the last couple generations in particular, are really, really, really can connect to a gospel where the son is a hero and the father is a zero. Because in their life, when they grew up, their dad wasn't good. They can see themselves being the hero with their children. So they like a gospel where Jesus, the son, is the hero and the father is a zero. And some of you guys might not like that, but I'm sorry to tell you that is how our gospel is being portrayed today. Is God is just off here somewhere. He's either mad or angry or going to judge you if he's ever talked about. And it's all about Jesus. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit hardly ever. When they talk about God, it's about judgment. And when they, then it's Jesus is your buddy. He's your best friend. You're going to elbow and fist bump and hang out and do all this stuff. And this is the attitude of the gospel that's being preached today in church after church after church after church. And I know there's exceptions, guys. I'm not saying everybody teaches this or believes this, but it's the majority. And whether you realize it or not, you've probably fallen victim to some of these thoughts and some of these things that have been said about God. I got news for you. It was the Father's plan for Jesus to come. Because God, the Father, so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish, shall not be killed and destroyed by the works and power of sin, but shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I added a few words in there. Shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life, life and life eternal. The Father's plan. This angry guy who's going to zap you with lightning. See, all this preaching about judgment, all it does is strengthen our unbelief in a real God. When Eve was in the garden, God, I'm sorry, Eve wasn't there yet. The way the Bible presents it to us is God created Adam. After he named all the animals, he then said, I'm giving you this garden. I'm putting you here. And I'm going to want you, I want you to tend the the ground, work the ground. He wasn't just sitting on his blessed assurance. He was there to work, work the ground. And he said, uh, you can eat anything you want, any plant, all the plants here I've given to you for food. You can eat everything you want except for the fruit that was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you open that, you eat that, you will die. Amen. Everybody got that? So we're left to believe because after that is when it says that he created Eve. The way the Bible presents it is Eve wasn't created yet when when Adam was placed in the garden. I know I said it backwards. So God created man. He placed him in the garden, said, I put you here to do this. Everything here is your food. Then he brought all the animals before him. I told the story backwards, but I'm putting it in the right order now. Then he brought all the animals before him just to see what he would call them. Then when there was nothing found as a helpmate for Adam, nothing suitable for Adam, praise God. Amen. Praise God. Nothing was found suitable for Adam. He said, we, we need to make him a helpmate. We need to make him a helpmate. So he created a woman. He put a sleep to cause the sleep to come over Adam, took out his rib, fashioned out of that rib a woman, and it's called woe man, not as my wife will tell you how it is, but woe man because it came from man. And this is very unpopular today. A very unpopular to talk about this. I don't care. Facts don't care about your feelings, guys. 
This just is. Like, I mean, whatever. I'm not going to go down that road, but I'm just telling you. He created man and woman, and they were to work together, co-partnered together. And Adam was the head, and Eve was the helpmate. And if that offends you, I apologize to you because you will miss out on the blessings of the Lord that you can have in your home. There's wrong ways of this, yes. But just because there's a few bad things doesn't mean you deny the way God did this and he established it for a person. It doesn't devalue anybody to acknowledge your role and go for it. And if we want to balance it out just to help somebody's heart in here, because I know I'm already making people, probably mad at me, a couple people. It's okay. It'll be all right. Jason will be back next week and he'll smile and love everybody. <laughs> if we do it God's way, guys, we get God's blessing. Right? We're supposed to work together. And so if you want to balance it out, Jesus said, husbands, love your wives. And don't beat each other up with this. I'm talking about the heart of this. Love your wife, right? It says, wives, obey your husband. Oh, that's a bad word. It means to submit to the authority of. That's what that word means. Submit to the authority. And I'm not trying to teach on marriage today, but I have my wife teach on it. That way you're hearing this from a woman telling you you're crazy if you don't honor the way God set this up. And there's people who have bad experiences. Don't let your bad experience trump God's purpose and God's plan. That's where it says, let God be true and every man a liar. And if you had a bad experience in your woman, you love that verse because every man is a liar. But let God be true, right? Let God be true. So he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he give himself up? He literally died for the church. And guess what? When Jesus died for the church, there wasn't even a church yet. It was just a thought of what the church could be. So he's saying, men, love your wives, not because they're sparkly and pretty and shiny, not because how cool you think they are, but because of the potential that is in them. Love them in spite of anything you see because he died for them before there was a church. And he created and gave himself for something before it was even existing. And he's telling us to love our wives in such a way. And guess what, guys? If you will love your wife in a way where you honor her and, and, and you die for her in your heart and you honor her, she is not going to take that. There's exceptions, but as a general rule, that she's not going to abuse that. It's going to cause this God thing to work inside of her where she'll come right alongside and you will have a unity in your home and great peace abounding in your place. And that's a blessing. That's a blessing. It's a blessing, guys. So anyways, I, I'm really in the weeds on all this stuff, but it's fine, it's fine. So we're left with this story where God creates Adam, brings all the animals. They didn't find anything suitable for him, so he said, let's make a helpmate. Then he makes a helpmate, right? So then we are left to believe that Adam is the one who told Eve that you can't eat the fruit of the tree. God gave Adam the commandment. After he gave him the commandment, he then created Eve. It never records that Adam told Eve, I mean that God told Eve not to eat it. We're left to believe that Adam is the one who told Eve. You can eat all the stuff, but not that. You know how we know? Because Adam being a man added to what God said. 
and his addition to God's words actually strengthens Eve's resolve to disobey what God had said. And if anybody wants to blame Eve, because Adam sure did, <laughs> if you read the story, when God shows up after Eve takes tastes the fruit, so but let me not jump to the end. Let me tell you. So what happens is they look at it, and Satan, it says, who is craftier than any other creature or whatever, and you can, you know, is, is there, and he's in the tree, and he says, "Did God really say?" And he, it says he comes down like a serpent, so he's more like, "Did God really say?" It's a snake talking, man. <laughs> actually, he's offended. He's like, I talk like this. Did thine father actually saith unto thee? <laughs> Satan spoke King James. And so he's there, and he says, he's, literally, Satan says, did God really say that you can't eat this fruit? And Eve answers the snake. Here's the first problem. Don't have conversations with snakes. If you see a snake, kill it. <laughs> I know there's people who love snakes and be like, don't kill my little pet. I'm sorry. Don't come to my yard. If I see a snake, I kill that sucker. If it's a black snake, I'll leave it alone. There's a few snakes I'll leave alone. But I have killed rattlesnakes in this area, guys. They're around here. So, and definitely have killed some other poisonous snakes. And if I see a snake and I think it's poisonous, that thing going to die. Because it's cursed and it is cursed. And I was commanded to crush its head. Actually, that's about Jesus. But I'm just, anyways, don't have conversations with snakes keeps you out of problems. What do I mean by that? Stop talking to the devil about all this stuff. Stop listening to his lies. Don't answer the enemy when he comes to you. Is this true? Did he say that? Why are you answering the lies? And if you do answer the lies, you better answer them like Jesus. Reach in and pull out the word of God and speak the word. It's the only answer you can have is reach in, pull out the word, speak the word. And just let it lie there. Let God defend you. Let God fight you. You don't need to be fighting the devil. God's already defeated him. You just walk in victory and forcing the kingdom everywhere you go. Half of the baloney we have in our churches that actually talk about the Holy Spirit is we're trying to fight a battle that God already won. Because Christians aren't rising up in power and authority with love and just being who they are and making statements of faith and standing and letting God move in their life. Nobody sees the power of God around them. So we get told we have to go into spiritual warfare and we got to fight over the demons of the region and all that stuff. And I got news for you. You ain't got to do all that. All you got to do is be a Christian with the power of God and in your own personal life, let God have reign and you take steps of faith and be obedient and do your obedience on the way as you you walk through your city, demons will manifest. And you ain't got to battle them. You just say, shut up, come out. And if you are walking in a right way, demons will tremble and run and flee, and they will stay away from you. And what I mean walking in a right way, I ain't talking about your works. I'm not talking about your sin or not sin. I'm talking about your belief and your faith and knowing who your God is. If we're supposed to do all this spiritual warfare, let me ask you something. How come Jesus didn't teach it? Right now, in what we would call the modern charismatic church, the biggest doctrines are about spiritual warfare. How come it's not taught in the Bible? I know it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. and I know the verses, guys. But they didn't sit down and teach. This is how you destroy demonic strongholds. This is how you battle the demons. This is how you're supposed to pray against demons. Not one time are we told to pray against demons. If it was something we were supposed to do and it's very vitally important as it's being taught today, don't you think the Apostle Paul would have thought to mention that or the Holy Spirit would have had him pinned down some instructions 
come on guys, we gotta be smarter than this stuff. That's just another trap by the enemy that's been subtly woven in to get our attention off of Jesus and off of who we are and get us doing something. Here, how about this? And I'm just gonna say it all out and offend everybody. You know what Satan's plan is for you? To keep you busy praying for revival. Satan wants you praying for revival. I know this is controversial, and this will mess some of you up. Some of you will like me. Some of you today will hate me from now on. I declare in Jesus' name you will love me and forgive me if you disagree with me. Satan wants you praying for revival. You show me where we're told in the Scripture to pray for revival. You won't find it. Ha, ha, ha. Uh-huh. All these conferences, all these churches, everybody doing revival prayer meetings, and we're going to come together, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray. If we pray enough, God's going to hear us, and revival's going to come. He, there isn't a verse that tells you to pray for revival, guys. But, but, but it feels real spiritual. It feels real nice. I feel like I'm really doing something for the Lord. Are you his shepherd or is he your shepherd? Think about this, guys. How many times have, have I, I know in my life, I know lots of people, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be whatever. I have prayed for revival many times in my life. I spent lots of times. We gathered together once a week and would spend two hours with a group of people once a week for two hours praying for God to send revival in our city. I did that for several years. I'm not saying this hard-heartedly. I'm not saying this not understandingly. I'm not saying this to try to get anybody. I'm saying this to free you from religious garbage that is really, I believe, empowered by Satan. If you want to know my honest opinion, because he wants to keep you in the walls of your church or in your closet because you are not a threat in that place. I know people don't like that. Look at the Bible. Look at it, guys. There is a lack of teaching in this area if it's so vitally important for us to do this. You know what he says about it? He says, Jesus pulled his disciples up and he said, lift up your eyes and look. The harvest is ready. It's white. The fields are white unto harvest. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look. If there was a moment that he was going to teach about praying for revival, it's right there. And he does. Here's how you pray for revival. Beseech ye the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. For what? To send laborers into the fields. Why? Because the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. That's what he said. So if you want to pray for revival, I don't want to take away your right to pray for revival. Pray for it, but pray for it the way Jesus taught it. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field and understand when you're praying that prayer, your next statement should be, here I am, God. Send me. Lord God, I see your harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. God, send laborers into the field. You think if you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit is going to be like, yeah, let's go. He's waiting for us. Satan, listen to me. And I know this messes with you and you don't have to believe this. It's fine. But I believe that Satan wants to keep us right here. 
Because as long as we're here, oh God, I pray for this city, oh God, I pray for this city, oh God. You know what? It's not going to change. You know how it changes when you get up? So here, here, you, know, you want revival to come into your home? You want revival to come into your workplace? You want revival to come into your city? You know how it works? You stop praying for it, you get revived on what God has already done for you, in you. You get revived on what Jesus has done. He has wiped away your sins. He's filled you with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, now dwells in here. If you believe in Him, you get revived on the salvation that you have, and then you go outside your house, outside your church, and you start going, Jesus loves you. And you just walk around and you go, God, I praise you. I worship you, Lord. Send laborers out here in your fields as you walk through the fields. And you say, Lord, whatever you want to pray, however you want to say it. You can say, Lord, send me the ripe ones. Send me the ones that are ready. You go, well, that's praying for it. Yeah. Here's what I want you to understand. I'm not against you praying for a revival. I'm not against you praying for the harvest. I'm against you praying alone. I'm against us praying in, in place of going. So you take a deep breath now. I said, I'm not against you doing it. I'm against you doing it in place of going. Do you understand that most people pray for revival and they're held up in a church and they believe if they pray enough, it's like they're waiting on God the idea of praying for revival at its heart is we are waiting on God to do something. Would you agree with that? Jesus, when he appeared to the disciples, he gave them a commission. And then he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God, right? He gave a great commission and then he went and did this. And I got news for you. If his position hasn't changed, his commission hasn't changed. Amen? What was the great commission? Go into all the churches and pray real hard. I'm not trying to pick on prayer, guys. Don't, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm for prayer. I'm for prayer in a right way. I'm for prayer in a way that doesn't keep us always waiting for God. It's like, here's the deal. We act like we're sitting at a, at a red light, just waiting for God to give us a green light. Oh man, as soon as that light turns green, as soon as that light turns green, God, give me the green light, give me the green light. When reality, we're at a green light. He said, go. Green means go, guys. He said, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, right? Teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them, right? And I will be with you, he says. Go. So we're supposed to be going. We should be living our life like we're at a green light looking for the red light. Like we, you go, go, go until the Holy Spirit says, nope, not there. And then you don't just stop and sit down. Well, I don't know what to do. You go, okay, not there. Here. You want a good example of that? Paul tried three times to go to Asia, and three times the Holy Spirit said, nope. And Paul's like, I'm going. I'm heading to Asia. The Holy Spirit said, nope. And so he turned and went and planted a church in Galatia. And then guess what? He was on his way again, going to go to Asia. I'm going to Asia. Holy Spirit said, no. He said, all right, how about Ephesus? He didn't stop preaching and going because the Holy Spirit said, don't go there. He just kept going, and the Holy Spirit said, nope, not there this way. You know why? 
because you can't steer a parked car. You can sit in a car all day long and you can turn the wheel and go vroom, 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 vroom. But you're not affecting that car until you start the engine and put it in gear. Once you put it in gear and start moving, you can direct where that thing goes. Oh, stop sign. Oh, got to turn left, turn left, turn right. That's not a big deal, guys. But we're all sitting here wanting God to direct us. It's better to start in the wrong direction than not start. If you start and you're supposed to go that way and you go, I'm just going to do something, and you go this way, and you're believing God and you're praying and you're, you're fellowshipping and going, God, I'm doing my best. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do something in your name. And you just start. You don't know what you're doing. Who knows what they're doing in here when it comes to doing all this stuff with God? If you do, come teach me what to do, right? I don't, we don't know what to do. You know how I got started? I opened my mouth and told somebody, hey, do you know Jesus died for your sins? I got started because I took a step. I took a step. That's how I started. It's not hard. It's not. It's just got to take something. When I got started in ministry, I had a word from God. I've told the whole story before. I won't tell it again. But somebody gave me a word from God that I was supposed to lay hands on 10 people that had illnesses and lay hands on 10 people and see what God does. You know what? I took that as a word from God, which I now know God told me, go lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So technically it is a word from God. But I put more faith in a word that came through a man than the actual written word of God and my Bible. Many times in my life, I've, I've, I've grown past that. Praise the Lord. But early on, I put more stock in what somebody who was a prophet or a man of God would say to me about what God says more than what the Bible said. Now, we need to believe the Word of God, but it's not always bad because I said, yeah, I believe that. You know what I started doing? Praise God. I'm supposed to pray for 10 people. I really hadn't prayed for anybody before then. And I wasn't very old. I was, I don't know how old I was, 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. Who knows? Something young. I was just young enough and dumb enough to believe him. Right? And I said, I said, let's do this. So you know what? I went and prayed for somebody. How are you doing? Pray for him. Pray for him. And and as it went, like the first person I prayed for, nothing happened. The second person I prayed for, nothing happened. The third person I prayed for, they got healed. Like instantly right there on the spot. And I was like, whoa. Whoa. I've never seen this before. This is cool. And then I went to pray for number four. Nothing happened. Number five got healed. Number six got healed. And I got up to number 10. And I think I ended up with four people that got healed out of, out of 10 people I prayed for. Four people got healed. And you know, over the years I've told this story. And you know what I hear more often than not when I tell this story? Yeah, but what about the six that didn't? That's what I hear. Again and again, I've been asked that. What about the six that didn't? You know what? I don't know. That's my answer. Don't know. All I know is four did. I prayed for 10 people. Four out of 10, that's 40%. Guess what? That's 40% more than I had the week before. That's 40% more than I had 19 years before. I just saw God move. I prayed for 10 people and saw 40%. If I was in, in if I was a major league baseball player, I'd be a Hall of Famer if I live if, if I ran at 400. Well, yeah, it's 400% more, but I mean it's yeah. There you go. 
See, I'm not good with math. You guys help me out. <laughs> I like that. No, but obedience really matters. But you know what it did? It stirred up my faith. And I said, you know what? If I prayed for these guys and they got healed, I could pray for more guys. And guess what? When Then it made me get in the Bible and start reading the scripture. Because then when you go to pray for people, they start asking you questions you don't know the answers to. Um, 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 I don't know, but I'll find out. And then I go get my Bible and start praying. It opened up my prayer life, guys. I wanted a prayer life. I didn't have one. I went out and started praying for people. I got a prayer life. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. Amen. Why? Because you said do it. Because the Great Commission is also recorded in Mark, and it says, go into all the, in the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out devils, right? In my name, they will speak with new tongues. In my name, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. In my name, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. It's part of the commission, not only to go preach, but to go preach in power and authority of Christ. You go because he's, he has overcome these things. And you go in his name and you're like, yes, amen, amen. And God will lead you. He's your shepherd. He'll lead you where you need to go. And so I just start going and pray for everybody. Pew, pew, who wants prayer? Pew, pew. Before the next conference, because I got it at a conference, before the next conference had taken place, we went. I went in our youth group. I went to the youth group. And the youth pastor didn't even want me to be, he didn't want me in there. Because, no, I'll just be brutally honest, nobody knows who he is. This is just how church stuff goes sometimes, guys. He didn't want me in there because I was excited about Jesus and the teenagers were listening to me. I didn't know, I didn't want to be a youth pastor. I was 19 or 20 years old. I was a youth. I didn't need to be a youth pastor. But he was threatened because I was excited and the kids were listening to me and he didn't want me in there because he was worried about his job. It's the truth, guys. It doesn't mean that we honor that, but we got to recognize not everything that pastors do are good. Not everything, they're not bad. Sometimes they're people and they're being human and they're thinking natural and they're going, well, I got to keep my job. You can relate to that because you've had a job where you probably had to, well, I better keep my job. You know, they're not pushing me out or something. They feel the same way they're people, guys. Whether it's right or wrong, it happens. Though we got to understand when that happens, it's not God's plan. It's not the best. And you just don't go, oh, everybody's bad. You just go, no, that's not right. But I'm going to follow God. And sometimes you have to shake the dust off your feet and get out of some place so you can follow God. It's okay. You can leave, you know. It's like they, that old statement, don't go away mad, just go away. And they're usually telling that to someone, but sometimes you just got to not go away mad. You just have to go away because you got to do what God's called you to do. So I'd go in there in the youth group and they was trying to get me out of there. And so this kid asked me one time, hey, what do you think about this question? You know, and I just start telling about Jesus because again, I've been in the word. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been seeing people get healed. And I just start telling, man, Jesus loves you. He died for you, man. If you believe in him, blah, 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 blah. And sitting right there, there was a guy who was deaf, deaf in one ear, a teenager. He was like 16 years old, 17, something like that. And, and I said, I said, God will heal you right now. I mean, make bold statements, guys, bold statements. You're, you're, you're deaf. You, you got the hearing aid. Take out your hearing aid. And he's like, what? <laughs> That's literally what he said. I said, take out your hearing aid. 
I said, God will heal you right now if you believe. I said, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord? He said, yes. Do you believe that Jesus paid for your healing? He said, yes. I said, take that hearing aid out. God's going to heal your ear. I laid hands on it. And I prayed for him. I said, God, open up his ears, Father. I just pray you open up these ears right now. And then I said, I said, do you hear anything better? He said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't hear anything better. I said, all right. I said, God's going to heal you. I said, I'm going to pray for you again. Why not? I never seen anybody else do that. I, everybody, everywhere I ever went, if they prayed for you, they prayed for you once. And then if it didn't happen, they go, well, praise the Lord. You know, the Lord in his own wisdom does it in his own timing. We don't know. And they give you some excuse. I, and whatever, I'll leave that where it lays. And, and so I said, I'm going to pray for it again. And I remember this preacher guy that I like talking about anytime he prayed for someone that was deaf, that he put his finger as far in their ear as he could get, trying to reach their eardrum. And then he'd say, right now. And he pictured like the anointing, like a little lightning bolt zapping their eardrum and they could hear. And, and you like it, don't like it, that's the story he told. And so in the moment I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to stick my finger in this guy's ear like Clifton does. Because you don't know anything better. You go, he did it this way. I'm going to try it, right? And so I said, all right, I'm going to try it. So I go to pray for him. I stick my finger in his ear. I'm trying to put my finger in his ear. What I don't know is when I get right here, God heals it. Because God is good. And it, from the beginning, he didn't want me to to imitate others but to follow him and so I put my finger right when I get right here he goes his eyes get real big I don't know what's happened I'm trying to stick my finger into his brain <laughs> we're literally having a wrestling match as I've got one hand on this side of his head and this hand trying to stick it into his ear as far as I can and he's grabbing to fight you to do it. <laughs> I mean I wouldn't do that today but you don't know I didn't know any better I just saw God moving and I was super excited and I knew God wanted to heal this young man's ear because I felt it in my spirit. Can't tell you anything else. I just knew it. So I'm like, first time prayer didn't work. Let's do the brain touch, you know? So finally he's like, stop. And uh, you know, and I'm like, I'm just trying to pray for your ear. He goes, you don't have to, I can hear. I'm like, what? You know? And then he goes through this thing and he just starts crying and he's plugging his ear and we're whispering behind him and he can hear everything. And he totally got his ear healed, totally. And then it's pretty awesome, you know, because then it's like, whoa, all these kids know he was deaf and they can see, you can hear. And then I'm like, I'm like, this is where you, this is where you learn to preach really early. I'm like, Eric, check it out. Eric's ear just got healed. And they're all freaking out. And then I got up and I got their attention. All right, everybody. Everybody knows Eric, right? Yeah. You know, a bunch of teenagers. You know, he couldn't hear, right? You know, you believe he can hear, right? yeah, yeah. I said, Jesus did that and the power of God is here. If any one of you want to be born again and be set free from your sins, come up here. And why can't kids come up and get born again? And I'm not saying that to go, look at what I did. That's not my purpose in this. It's I didn't know what I was doing. I got a word from God and that word took me from a sitting, standing position of praying, oh God, do, oh God, move, oh God, move, and got me out of oh God, move to I took a step of faith. And then God was able to move in me and through me as I just began to walk and begin to declare for him and do stuff. Did I see people not get healed? Yes, I saw a bunch of people not get healed, but I saw a bunch of people get healed. You have to take the step. You have to, you have to start. You have to move forward. 
I was going to read this whole passage of scripture over here, and I'm not going to do it because I'm going to wrap this up for time's sake. But there's a story in the Bible, and if you want to know where it is, it's, it's in uh, Mark chapter 5, and it's also in Luke chapter 8. And it's this, this whole story of Jesus walking against the woman with the issue of blood. It's really good to read. I'd encourage you to read it. The woman with the issue of blood, right? And then it goes on to um, Jairus, which is, uh, he was a leader of the synagogue and his daughter has died or she's very sick. And he comes and tells her, my daughter is sick, laying at the point of death. But I know that if you will come and pray for her, she will live. And, and so on the way there, he's going through the crowds and that's when the woman with the issue of blood comes up. And he stops and does all this stuff. And they come to Jairus and say, don't bother, don't bother bringing the teacher. She's already died. And Jesus hears this and he looks at it and he says, don't be afraid, don't doubt, only believe. And he goes, let's go. And they get to this house. And when they get to the house, there's all these mourners and all these people there weeping and moaning and wailing because it's the tradition of what they do. And they're there and they're, they're moaning. And Jesus walks in and he says, why are you weeping and mourning? For the child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And it says that they ridiculed him greatly. And I think it's in uh, Luke 8, around verse 54. It says, it says uh, and they ridiculed him greatly, knowing she was dead. But then it says he put them all out with a word. And, he, and, he, and then he said to her, little girl, little girl, rise up. Tell me, get up. And she gets up. And he's like, give her something to eat, you know, and all this stuff. And it goes on with the story. Here's what I wanted to say. They ridiculed him knowing she was dead. Here's something cool, though. They weren't wrong in the natural. They weren't wrong in the natural, guys. I've heard people say, well, she really wasn't dead, blah, blah, blah. And they try to explain it away. Look, a group of people know if somebody's dead or not. And not only that, but she rose up, was great, and ate food and went about her business completely healed. She didn't need to be nursed back to health. So they ridiculed him, yelled at Jesus, argued with God because they knew she was dead. In the natural, they weren't wrong. The difference is Jesus knew something that they didn't. He is God and he operates supernaturally, which means above and beyond the natural. So let me ask you this question. What things are in your life that you know are dead? But you know this is here. You know you have this problem. And in the natural, you're not wrong. What things are you keeping in your life from God? You're keeping God from resurrecting because you of what you know about them. Last verse as I close. Hebrews 11 says, it actually starts with, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not 
yet seen. Do you know the Hebrew language is reversed from the English language? So in the proper Hebrew, and it's written in Greek, but it's, Greek does the same thing. But in the proper Hebrew, which is what Jesus spoke and the disciples just spoke, and that's Hebrew written to the Hebrews that I'm quoting. So it was written in Hebrew. Do you know that it's reversed? So it literally means, it, really, it literally says faith is now. Faith is now the substance of things hoped for. Faith is now the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is now. And I'll let you chew on that because faith is now. Faith is now. Faith is something you know, you believe, you're convinced. Faith is now. And then if you drop down two verses, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Did you hear that? It is impossible to please God. You know how long I spent personally in my life trying to please God? Because I was told that if I would do this work and I would do this thing and I would stop doing this and I would do this other thing, that God would be pleased with me. A lot of the early efforts I put in my life as a Christian had to do with my work to God, try to get God pleased with me. And when I finally realized he was already pleased with me, not because of what I had done, but because I was his son. You know, when Jesus goes in the river to get baptized, the heavens open up. First, first John the Baptist says, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And John said, no, no, permit even this so that everything can be fulfilled in the proper order like it needs to be done. You need to baptize me. John baptizes Jesus in the River Jordan. As Jesus comes up, the heavens open up. The Bible says the glory of God begins to come down on earth, shine down on earth. The heavens open, the glory's coming down. A voice is speaking from heaven. At the same time, in the glory coming down, the Holy Spirit descends down as like a dove, not really a bird, but in a form where it descends down upon Jesus. And as the heavens open and the Holy Spirit is descending upon Jesus, the glory is shining all around him. And a voice from the Father in heaven, the sound of many waters, says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In that moment, Jesus hadn't done one miracle. He hadn't done one work. He hadn't preached the sermons. He hadn't done all these things we know about. He hadn't done any miracles or any works of God. He simply was his son. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God wasn't pleased with him because he did miracles. He did miracles because God was pleased with him. He was pleased with him because he was his son. God isn't pleased with you because of the things you do. He's your shepherd. Sheep don't follow the shepherd for what they can do for him. The shepherd takes care of the sheep. He's pleased with you because you're his. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's pleased with you. And without faith, it's impossible, guys. Just throw away all this doubt and fear. Throw away all these feelings that you have to do something else to make God love you or hear you. Or God, you must have sinned in your life or God isn't hearing your prayer. And that's all lies. Jesus came to destroy the power of sin for those who believe forever. And you go, well, you don't focus on sin very much. No, I don't. You know why? 
because I think for too long in churches we've preached about sin and in, in many ways we've made sin bigger than the sacrifice of God And people go, well, you have to preach against sin. No, I don't. You preach Jesus. Because if you get a hold of Jesus, he will make you free. I can give you verse after verse after verse that shows preaching the law will bring up. Put, one, puts you under the curse. Two, puts you under dominion. I mean, it does all this stuff. It, break, it empowers sin in your life. We need to start preaching Jesus. See, I don't make, I don't make little of sin. I don't think sin is is pointless or powerless. Sin, literally, because of sin, my Lord died. I, I don't make light of sin. I just make big of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, praise God. I want to encourage you this morning. If you want to be free in your life, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Have faith in God. Stop placing trust and faith in your own abilities. Let go of your works. Don't trust in your ability to pray. Don't trust in your ability to read. Don't trust in your ability to speak right. Just trust in your God. Trust in your Lord. Make him your trust. And then be obedient take a step and if he redirects go wherever he takes you and along the way just have your eyes open have an attitude of gratitude be thankful for everything if you have things that you need it says make your request known to God through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving thanksgiving in your prayer life and if you bring thanksgiving in your prayer life, it says, and he is able to make all, no, I'm going to say that's the wrong one. And he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. This isn't a normal message for me, but it's a good message, I think. I don't know. I'm encouraged by it. And I want to encourage you. It's easier than we've made it. And it's greater than we've seen yet. Just take the pressure off. You know how awesome it is to let God... Oh, I have to finish this. I'm sorry. Sierra reminded me, and I skipped it earlier. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I won't go in great detail, but I'm going to say this. You know how long in church I've heard about the rod and the staff of God's going to hit you. He's going to smack you. He's going to get you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's this idea of this authoritarian God who's mad at sin and going to get you with his rod. And Right? No. As his shepherd says, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Gosh. Comforts me. Why? You know what the staff is? What he does with, with the staff? The staff he uses to, to, to pull the sheep and redirect them. He steers, he'll take the hook on the, there's a hook on the staff, the crook of it, they call it or whatever. And he'll use that to hook a sheep that's going astray and pull it in, right? And bring it back. You're going over here. The staff isn't scary. It just goes whoop, this way. And you know what the rod is for? Beating off predators. 
the rod is used and the staff is used. The staff is used for redirection, but these are never weapons used against the sheep. You tell me a shepherd who takes his rod and begins to beat his own sheep. It has never happened. No shepherd has beat his, his flock. Preachers who think they're shepherds beat their flock. But God, the good shepherd, in any natural shepherd, he told this to people who understood farming and what this was like. And it would be insane for you as a sheep farmer to take your staff and begin to bludgeon your own flock. Do you understand how crazy that is? Now can connect that to how often it's been preached about God's staff and judgment and it's bludgeoning the flock of God and the people of God. Wrong understanding. Wrong interpretations. Wrong ministry. That's not what God is doing. He uses the reason the rod and the staff comforts us is because we have confidence that he will guide our steps to where we need to be. And he will protect us from any predator that tries to come and destroy us. This is amazing, guys. We got to look at God in a different way. You know, it even says that Jesus rules from the throne of grace. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted and tested in all ways as we are yet without sin. Therefore, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need. When you go to the throne of grace, you don't get, I'm not answering your prayer because you've been doing this and this and that and that until you tell me you're sorry, I won't hear you. Uh-uh. You run to the throne immediately. He's like, what do you need? Mercy and help from the throne of grace, guys. It's only us that feels bad and get afraid to go. That's another message. Praise God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful time. Father, I thank you for the ability, Father, for us to come together and worship you, to praise your name. And Father, today we focus on you. We are going to continue to focus on you, and we believe in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us, guide us, teach us, lead us. We yield our will to you. And I declare, Father, this next week that people will take steps of faith in their lives and begin to see you moving in new ways. And I thank you for this, Father. We worship you, we honor you, and we praise you. Whew. Anybody that receive it and agree, just say amen. 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 amen.